because we have kids with us and because we can learn so much from them, I thought I'd start off with a children's book for us today. Maybe you remember, this is from the 1960s, so this should relate to multiple generations. It's the story, it's, Are You My Mother? Does anybody remember that story? Do you, do you have it on your bookshelf at home? There it is. It's the story about a little hatchling bird whose mother goes off to get some food because she doesn't think he's gonna come yet. And then while she's gone getting food, the baby bird is hatched and the baby bird is left alone. And so throughout the story, the baby bird is going from animal to animal and creature to creature saying, are you my mother? Are you my mother? Um, they all say, no, no. And then all of a sudden he, he even comes up to a big machine and he says, are you my mother? And it makes a big noise and he's like, oh, you're not my mother, you're a snort. Nobody, and then next thing you know, it, this, the, the snort lifts the baby bird into the nest and the baby is finally home in the nest with his mother. Sweet, right? My question today, and this is a question Jesus asked, is what are you looking for? Do you sometimes feel like you go from place to place saying, are you my mother? Are you what I'm looking for? Are you where I belong? What are you seeking? If you're at all like me, there have been many times when I can't even articulate it, what it is I need or what it is I'm looking for. We are complex people, aren't we? We use tools like the Enneagram or spiritual gifts test or Myers-Briggs. We do all of this stuff to understand what motivates me. What are my basic fears? What are my basic joys? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And we seek guidance from mentors, from teachers, from behavioral health specialists. All of these things are good. And then to bring joy and levity to our search, we sometimes do one of those silly games with our smartphone where, what Disney princess am I? Have you all done that? <laughs> not all of us, not all of us. But this is, there's this idea of trying to figure out who we are and what we're looking for and what motivates us. What are you seeking today? Maybe it's comfort, maybe it's companionship, maybe it's purpose, healing, justice, truth, peace. What is it that you're looking for today? I mentioned earlier, it's, it's, um, it's been a hard week, hasn't it? And we don't all understand what it is we're looking for. We don't understand all our needs. Um, our family friends um, that I grew up with, uh, they lost their 37-year-old daughter to COVID this week, and it was very abrupt. It's just been a hard, hard week. As we've watched things unfold in our nation, it's a hard, hard week. What are we seeking? What are we looking for? Maybe it's good if we don't know even what we're looking for. That, that song we sing, holding our hands open. If we walk holding on to ideas or expectations loosely, maybe we're gonna give God more opportunity to define what we need, who we are, 
and what we're looking for. So before Jesus began his ministry on earth, his cousin, John the Baptist, was going out throughout the land telling everyone. It says, Luke 3, 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Every time he'd see Jesus, John would say, John 1, 29, whenever he saw Jesus, he'd say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's just every time he saw Jesus, look, here he comes, the Lamb. Look, there he is, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was going about telling people about Jesus He was telling people we need to repent, which means to change our minds, change the way we think. We need to prepare for Jesus. And when we do that, we'll be able to receive forgiveness for our sins, our failings, our evil deeds, our offenses, our bad ways. Everything can be made clean and made whole and made new. But we know a lot of people did not love John the Baptist. They didn't want to change the way they thought. Others were drawn to this news about the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, this Jesus they'd been waiting for for so long. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the deliverer? They would look at Jesus. I can imagine them just kind of holding back or coming close or getting up in trees to see this Jesus from afar, like Zacchaeus. And I, I, I hear this question, are you our Messiah? Or are you just another snort? <laughs> Let's read John 1, 35 through 42. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. His two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you will be called Peter. Jesus looked at them and said, what are you seeking? I imagine a little pause there and the disciples thinking, what should we say? I watched a silly movie where two teenagers in the movie meet Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, their wrestling hero. And they meet him and they're looking up at him and they don't even know how to talk to him. They're kind of, you know, awestruck by the celebrity, their hero for all times. And they're just, I wonder if if it was anything like that when these disciples saw Jesus, like, I'm speechless. What do I say? What do I ask? I don't know what to say. They didn't say anything. Jesus often responded to people with questions. Who do you say I am? 
Do you want to get well? Why are you so afraid? Why did you doubt? Do you still not understand? Are you also going to leave? For whatever reason, we don't know, we, it's up to our imagination, the two disciples don't answer his question directly. Instead, they ask him where he's staying. And he says, come and you will see. Perhaps standing before Jesus, this very intriguing character, the fullness of God in humanity, they realize they don't know exactly what they're looking for, but they decide to follow Jesus. Notice John the Baptist had no problem letting them go to follow him. They had been his disciples, but he's like, go for it. John the Baptist knew he isn't pointing people to his own ministry and his own cause, but he was there to point people to Jesus. All the Bible study commentaries highlight that this language is conscientiously designed to describe discipleship. There's following, there's come and see, and there's stay for a bit. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Just last July, in my neighborhood, I saw a sign that said pottery sale. And I love pottery, so I was like, ah! And then I drove up the road to my neighbor's house and he had all this beautiful pottery in the driveway. And I was not intending to buy pottery that day. It was not on the top of my radar, but my neighbor was there and he had all this beautiful pottery in the driveway. So I got out and was looking at it and just enjoying it. And while I was there, he looks at me and he says, I do pottery classes. I have a studio in my garage. I was like, what? I was immediately like, are you kidding me? You are five houses down from me. He said, yeah, if you can find four other people, let's do a class. And I said, done. I'll get back with you later this afternoon. <laughs> it took me no time to know that I wanted to do this. That morning when I set out, I was probably coming back from the grocery store or something, I don't know but I didn't even know what I wanted or what I was looking for. But there I was in this class, following a potter, inviting other people to come and see, and I've stayed for seven months. I even brought, look at this, I even brought a little sample so you could see. This is one of my earliest beginner pieces. It's really heavy. It's not done very well. I can tell you everything wrong with it but I love it. <laughs> That's how Jesus is with us. He's like, you don't even know what you're looking for with what you need to make or how to make it or whatever, but I think it's, it's lovely and I'm gonna show you how to do it. Come and see and stay for a while. Jesus is like the potter in my neighborhood. <laughs> Even if you can't answer the question or describe what you're looking for, Jesus invites you to follow, come and see, and stay for a bit. We know that one of Jesus' disciples was Andrew. It says it right there. Andrew, every time Andrew is mentioned in Scripture, it's three times, he's always bringing someone along to see Jesus. 
The first thing in the passage we just read, when, when he started following it, says the first thing he did was find his brother. Come and see this Jesus. In John 6, 8, Andrew brings a child, a boy with loaves and fish to Jesus. So we have family, we have a child. And in the third passage, John 12, 22, it's a passage about the Greeks. All the Greeks want to see Jesus. And there's this like, can they come see Jesus? Because they're Greek. And I don't know, can they? So the Greeks first go to Philip. And then Philip goes to Andrew. Then Andrew takes Philip and the Greeks to Jesus. He's like, yes, let's go see Jesus. Regardless of what you're looking for, you can be confident you're not alone. Sometimes we feel alone, don't we? But we're not alone. There's a, the search isn't for you alone. It's always for family, for friends, for children, and for others who are foreign to you and different than you. Most historians comment that the other disciple was John the Beloved. John, the writer of the gospel that we're reading, he records the details to the hour. We stayed with Jesus until the 10th hour. When we think of important life events, we remember exactly where we were and what we were doing at that hour. Maybe you remember the first time you learned to ride a bike. <laughs> I remember when I was a teenager, we were in the Anchorage, Alaska airport and my dad met his dad for the first time. Wow, that's a big deal, watching your dad meet his dad. I love to hear people's stories about when they first experienced Jesus. If we hang out, that'll always be my first question for you. Tell me about how you met Jesus. There's nothing I love more than hearing that story. It's incredible. And I might ask you to repeat it a year later or a year after that, because it just, it encourages me about the work of Christ in our lives. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you remember the time, the place, and who you were with. Your life is never the same. Sometimes if you start asking people this story, they often cannot describe what happened. They'll say, I was just in this place. And next thing you know it, I was in another place. And, and then all of a sudden I was praying. And then all of a sudden I was on the floor and all of a sudden my knees were bowed. And all of a sudden I gave my life to Jesus and I didn't even know what that meant. And we're still discovering what it means, aren't we? We're still climbing this mountain with our hands wide open and saying, what is this journey? What is Jesus doing? What is he going to do? So incredible. When you experience Jesus, you may not understand what you found, but you know, I have tasted something, I've experienced something, and I am never letting go. Jesus is inviting you today to come follow, come and see, and stay for a while. Later on, John the Baptist is arrested by Herod. It's a heart-wrenching, painful story in the life of two cousins, in the life of John the Baptist and Jesus. 
Matthew 4, 12 through 17. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus withdrew and identified with the Gentiles. Remember his heart is humble and meek. If you want to go and stay with Jesus for a bit, be prepared to look for him with people who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death. That's where you're gonna find Jesus. I picked this scripture before our friend died and her middle name was Dawn. And I just think that's special of God to give me a scripture verse with the name of my friend in it. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. I have so many questions for Jesus, not just about Natalie. She was more my parents' friend, really. But we have so much darkness in our nation and our lives and it's all being exposed. And the shadow of death is trying to taunt us. But I appreciate Lily's and um, Leslie's word today. Even when we see a parade or a, a procession of darkness, Jesus is here. The kingdom of heaven is near. He is with us. Jesus is the light of the world and his hope dawns over the shadow of death. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Change your mind, change how you see things. If we're climbing this mountain with our hands wide open, it's like we're giving what's on our heart to someone. We're giving it to Jesus instead of having our heads down and just hiking up this mountain with our heads to our feet. But if we're climbing a mountain with our hands open, we're looking to heaven. In these days, where do you see light? It's there. We gotta look for it. I'd encourage you to find times to sit with Jesus and linger for a bit with him. Ask him, what is it he wants you to see? Where is the kingdom of God coming near you? Take time to fix your eyes on Jesus, to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist hollered every time it says, look, the Lamb of God. Every time it says it, there's an exclamation point. 
Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the animal. When we look at the Lamb of God, we remember Jesus, the animal slain in the Garden of Eden, Eden to cover the nakedness of the first sinners. Jesus is the Lamb of God who would provide himself for Abraham. I'm sorry, he is the Lamb of God. God would himself provide for Abraham as a substitute for Isaac. He's the Passover Lamb for Israel. He's the Lamb for the guilt offering and the Levitical sacrifices. He is Isaiah's Lamb in the prophecies about the coming Messiah, the Lamb going to slaughter. Each of these lambs fulfilled their role in their death. John the Baptist was declaring that Jesus would die and he'd be the final and complete sacrifice for the sin of the world. Not just your sin or my sin, but the collective weight of all our wrongs, all of it. Jesus took it on. He was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This lamb is here for you and I. I love John 6, 37. I'm gonna read it in four different translations. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. And all who come to me, I will embrace and will never turn them away. And the message, every person the Father gives me eventually comes running to me. And once that person is with me, I hold on and won't let go. Author Dane Ortland uses this analogy about this scripture. Imagine you're with the toddler in a zero entry pool. Have you seen those? They're the pools that start like a beach, like you're going into a, a swimming pool and, and it's just zero entry. There's no step, you just walk into it. And when you first get to the edge of the water, the toddler takes your hand. They're like, where are we going? Keep me safe. And they hold on. But the deeper you get into the water, the farther out you get, the adult takes your hand and holds on to you. And pretty soon the waves are crashing, other children are playing in the pool. And as parents or adults, we know, man, we gotta hold on to this toddler. We're not gonna let this little one go in this deep water. This is how Jesus is with us. When we come to him, he, we start holding on to his hand and then he's got a grip on our hand and he never lets go. I just like to finish with an invitation if um, we could all please just stand. God, I'm just so thankful. Jesus, I'm so thankful. I pray that we would behold you today, that we would see you and all the questions we have and all the things we're holding on to. 
that we would lay them down for a bit. I lay my questions down for a bit. And I just, I'm gonna come see what you're doing. Show us this week, what are you doing? Show us where you are. We wanna come see you. We wanna come sit with you. We wanna stay with you for a bit. We wanna know what's on your heart. We wanna see what you're up to. We wanna see what you wanna teach us this week. And we do, we surrender all to you. Lord, I pray for everyone who's listening, everyone who's um, here today. I bless, I bless this, 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 I bless your people. I bless them in the name of Jesus with eyes to see you, with courage to follow you, with courage to open up our hands, and with, with the ability to hear what you want to tell us in these days. Help us hear. In Jesus' name, amen.